0: Bye-bye. Uh-huh. On a sunny evening in the Steel City, we're back on the Pick and Roll podcast. Delighted to be joined by um, TV's own Mike Tuck and the man behind the man from Toronto, his agent, uh, Bernie Lee. Bernie, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I I really appreciate it. Mike, thanks for letting me write the coattails here.
2: Hey, man. I've, you, I've ridden your coattails for so you. Uh, you're, you're, you're the man. But, uh, no, it's great great to see you and, and uh, good, good to have you on, man.
0: When was awesome. the last time you guys actually saw each other in the flesh? Has it been a minute?
1: Or? I, I want to say maybe it was like three summers ago. Uh, Mike was, was back for uh, for a little bit. I tried to make him uh, come play in a men's league game with me. He was going to be my, uh, my ringer <laughs> for my three-point line to three-point line team.
2: <laughs> yeah, I really and I started. would have to be uh, basket to basket rebounding, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But no, that that would be uh, that would that would be the last call. And it's like it's interesting. I I've been I've been an agent now for like sixteen years. So I've worked with like a bunch of like different people, uh, and my career is kind of like had these different um, had these different kind of like peaks with it. But I can tell you like my my story in terms of working with Mike is so interesting because like I literally sent him two places and he stayed at the second place forever. And it's been really easy. It's been major, awesome. <laughs> yeah, major have, have you ever been out to Sheffield, Bernie? You know what, I have. So interestingly enough, my background is, uh, my mother is from England. My mother's family oh, okay. is from Castle. Yeah. Uh, so like have a, um, you know, obviously have, have uh, like a lot of people in Canada, you know, our, our families come from other kind of commonwealth countries. Like my mother's from England, my father's from Jamaica. Um, so yeah, I I have, you know, strong ties with with England. Um, you know, in the last couple of years from a work perspective, Jimmy's really kind of uh become a um a huge football uh supporter and follower. Uh so last summer, I uh, spent about a month uh living in in London and we went around to a bunch of different uh Premier uh Premiership teams and you know, I've done all that, so yeah, I've spent a, a lot of time in England. I I I love it there.
0: Well, so um... What's the last few months been like for you in terms of kind of being stuck in one location like the rest of us? I mean, I, I imagine you spend most of your year traveling and stuff, um, you know, did you have to drag yeah. a lot of guys back home from Europe and stuff? I mean, how how's kind of life changed for you over the last few months?
1: You know, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. Like, so, you know, in the last 16 years, I would say I've probably averaged a solid uh, between 200 and 250 days of travel per year. Wow, okay. um, some of years have been you know, significantly more significantly less. Um, I have an 11 year old and, and a six year old 11 year old daughter, six year old son. Um, so like it's been a lot to balance, but it just became what normal was. you know what I mean? Like yeah. learning travel place a couple of days here and there. Um, and then I, you know I was telling Mike like the last time I traveled was March the 10th. I was in Miami. Uh, traveled home on March the 11th is when everything kind of shut down. And like everybody in the world, it's just been kind of like a week by week thing yeah. um, where everything essentially is just kind of stopped and we've had to be like totally adaptable, you know? And from my standpoint, um, it's been, you know, obviously it's been a negative from this, uh, uh, the way everything's kind of happening around you and everything. But from a personal standpoint, like I'm really, really lucky. You know, I, I continually, I've said for a really long time. I'm probably one of the luckiest people I've ever met. Um, <laughs> so that's been true in this instance. Like my family's, you know, safe, happy, healthy. Um, you know, I'm employed, like, you know, a lot of people have it a lot worse. And, you know, it's just been an opportunity for me to like, it's been the first time in, in my children's lifetime where I can be at home and I don't have to be thinking about uh, a game that might be happening a day or so later or a contract that needs to be done or anything there's been you know some kind of work logistical things to to work through with the restart of the season and the bubble and everything but from a personal standpoint you know it's like it's it's like the thing that I'm preaching to the clients that I have is that you know so many times we like it's going to be defined by how you react to things that are kind of out of your control because that's the nature of professional sports right Mm -hmm. so Now it's one of the times I get to live all the things that I'm always saying, like it's a Tony Robbins book. So here I am. Do you have any sort of
0: clients who um, potential to get drafted in the upcoming draft?
1: Yeah, that's been, you know, the guys that are in that bubble, they're in a, uh, they're in a a really difficult spot from the standpoint. There's no certainty, you know what I mean? I've tried to take the guys that, that I'm working with that are going through the track process from a standpoint of Preparing in an intelligent way, but also extend uh, understanding, like, the thing that you feel that maybe you need to extend yourself for, we don't know what that is. So it's, there, there's no sense in risk, you know, when you're going to have to be ready, you're going to have to be ready. Uh, but in terms of, like, knowing what the process is, like, right now, we're August 5th, typically in a normal kind of, like, draft window or anything from an American standpoint. Um, you would have been through pre-draft. You would have been through the draft, you would have been through summer league. We'd be sitting down now and deciding, okay, what do your prospects look like? You know, is it you staying here in North America working away, or is it like, you know, with Mike where it's like, let's find you a European league where you could settle in, build your career, and essentially you'd be leaving over the course of this week. Right yeah. now it's still as if it was March. You know what I mean? So those guys are in a those guys are in a, a tough spot and they're it's it's compounded because they've never gone through any of this before. All of this yeah. is new. This is foreign, so it's. Uh, I have a lot of empathy for those guys, for sure.
0: Yeah, I know Mike sort of mentioned a lot of the guys on the Sharks and in the the British League and stuff have, have, have kind of headed home. You know, as soon mm-hmm. as kind of things start to kick over, here. can you see sort of a lot of these guys who would you know possibly play in Europe or maybe in China or whatever, sort of maybe staying at home and playing in the G League next year? Do you think there'll be you know a lot of guys who would just put off sort of moving abroad and stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody's gonna have to make a personal choice, you know, and you're gonna have to look at at things like and how it kind of fits. But there's as much uncertainty, uh, you know, with the G League as there is in any other league in the world that's not the yeah. NBA. You know, yeah. I think the one thing the NBA has shown is that uh, if you're going to um, if you're gonna live the truth of a player first. Uh, of player safety, above revenue, of all those things. They've shown you what you have to actually do to make a working model work, yeah. you know, being in North America. Um, and I think for a lot of the other leagues that, that run uh, and that are going to attempt to run after this, um, you know, you have the blueprint. Like, we're doing it in different ways here in North America. Like, baseball is having huge struggles. Uh, you know, college sports is, is huge here in North America. Typically, it starts in about three weeks, three, yeah. four weeks from now, they're going to have massive issues uh, unless they come up with, you know, appropriate protocols. So, you know, I, I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting from the standpoint of seeing how, how you know, teams and leagues and people actually actually navigate this for sure.
0: Yeah, and the financial effect can't be understated either, can it, uh, for a lot of these leagues?
1: Yeah, you know, Mike, is as he's transitioning now to kind of being a player uh, executive, uh, you know, can probably speak to it really, really well. <laughs> yeah. From a European model, you know, you think about the two ways you make your revenue. It's gonna be from sponsorships and it's gonna be from ticket sales, right? And I've learned in the course of business, typically like when uh, the economy regresses, the number one thing that uh, is hurt, you know, in terms of trimming fat and things like that, is things like sponsorships, you know what I mean? So it's gonna have to be bought in from kind of every part um, of the equation to figure out, you know, kind of the greater good. I and mean, we've seen that, you know, in terms of my side of things and in terms of the NBA, um, you know, the, the number one thing I would say um, about the NBA, I've said a lot for like the last, you know, uh, six weeks as we got to kind of a planning thing of um, kind of the restart, like the NBA as big as it is, um, and, and as successful as it is, at the root of it, it's a family business, you mm-hmm. know? And so you work with these people for years and years and years and same people that progress to different things. And at the end of the day, we all know each other. We know each other's attempts and families, and we all know, like, you know, we're really lucky to be doing this and not driving Uber or or like essentially working a real job, so to speak. Um, so it, it, when there's buying needed, then you get buying, you know, hopefully, um, you know, other sports entities will have the same experience. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Just going back on your sort of personal history and stuff. Um, you obviously played basketball to a certain level. Did you play at college? Am I right? I
1: did really yeah, yeah yeah no. I was uh, I was a uh, I was the uh, world's best practice player on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I was a great teammate.
0: <laughs> what was it sort of without going into too, obviously too much detail? What what made you? kind of follow the agent path as opposed to sort of coaching? I know you, you mentioned before you did some stuff at Five Star Camp and places like that. What, yeah. what
1: kind of what kind
0: of led you down the sort of agent route?
1: So, you know, Mike can speak to this as well. Like being in Canada, uh, we're close to the U.S., so we're close to like a working business model, especially like kind of our generation. I'm, I'm, you know, a lot older than Mike, but we're basically the generation that's now, they don't have our experience, you know, mm-hmm. like when we were, in high school, the people that were like our high school coaches here in Canada were like our science teachers. You right. know what I mean? If you went to the school that was, uh, you know, closest to your house. You played basketball indoors for the most part between uh, October and April, you know, in terms of gym space and being able to be on traveling teams and things that these are opportunities that just didn't exist in terms of my generation of Canada. It's, it's hugely adapted now uh, because the talent pool has increased. Um, but I would just say, like, from my standpoint, like, I just I fell in love with the game, you know, and, yeah. and it became the the one uh, really awesome thing uh, about Toronto and Canada where I live. It's hugely multicultural. Like all our parents are from some other place. And the number one thing for me was like, basketball provided this platform that I could connect and, and, and have a similarity or a contact point with people from like everywhere, you know, like on my high school team, you know, there's 10 of us, 10, our parents were from 10 different places kind of thing. But this thing we had in common, the fact that we all kind of played basketball together we lived in the same area um so for me it's like because this basketball aspect of thing became this foundational aspect of my life as i transitioned from you know going through college wanting to work and and you know having to get a job and all those things it it took on a like that that thought that belief that you had like you know what i really want to work in sports like how am i going to do this in canada Uh, for lower levels of of coaching like anything less than like the Raptors we don't really pay for that like you don't pay high school coaches you don't pay college coaches university coaches now can make an honest living but at that time they really weren't like my university coach did it for like a stipend you know what I mean so I, I could like live the dream and want to work but I I don't know how I would have like financed an adult's life if that makes sense and just um so fortuitously like I I got offered the opportunity to work with an agent as a as an intern and it was something I had never thought about before but it was my one avenue to be able to kind of stay connected to the game uh and and work in in you know the industry and, and make a living and then for me it was like it was one of those things where um you know, within a week of doing it, I realized it was supposed to, we, I was so lucky in that I, it was exactly what I was supposed to do in life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I think about it from like a standpoint. Like um, somebody once told me about a, a, an example, um, a guy that won a gold medal uh, in the Olympics uh, from Trinidad uh, throwing a javelin, and uh, there was a track coach who just happened to be was on a beach and saw this person, you know, throw like something that wasn't a javelin. And, you know, walks up to the guy and be like, hey, you know, I think you might be able to do this. Within three years, the guy is a gold medalist in the Olympics throwing a javelin. And it's like, how do these things come together where that person figures out the one thing in that one moment of time that he was supposed to do? And in my sense, like, I can't throw a javelin, probably never going to win a gold medal, but I <laughs> think that I was supposed to do. Fantastic. So how did you cross paths with Bernie initially then, Mike?
2: Uh, it was... I was coming out of Loyola uh University um and I had actually already signed with an agency which we won't name. Did you <laughs> and, poach uh,
0: him then? Did you poach him then, Bernie?
2: <laughs> no, it was problem um, solver. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I I was I was coming out and I was eligible for the uh NBA draft that year 2008 and um I actually got a, a randomly i was out of the blue not expecting it but i got a call from um one of the player development guys at the time named courtney charles who's actually still at the raptors um and as he asked me to come to uh, one of their pre jaf workouts. Um, they they usually call in local guys to help fill in spots and stuff like that. So it wasn't like they were you know, 100% scouting me, but it, w- it was cool that I was actually on the radar and I, I, I got the call down uh, and went, went to the workout. Um, and from that workout, uh, Leo Routens was there. And at the time, Leo Routens was the head coach of, of Team Canada. Uh, now he's gone on to be a commentator for the Raptors. Um, and uh leo's like he's like who are you like what are you doing here because i was just like my i had a great workout like i was just on fire i just couldn't miss a shot And leo's <laughs> like, how come I, how come i never heard of you like who are you <laughs> so immediately from that workout there was uh the team canada developmental team was was uh training uh downtown toronto at the same time so i literally went from the nba workout to go start working out with team canada which was like it was like my dream come true like two of my dreams in one day i was just like this is amazing like (laughs) and and just just through that and conversations with leo he's just like how come like you know who are you signed with how come you haven't signed a contract yet blah 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 blah." and he's just like i'm gonna put i'm gonna put you in touch with bernie bernie's your guy so i was like who's this bernie guy you know (laughs) and uh and finally, you know, I got on the phone with Bernie and I think, I think we went out for lunch. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then from there, Bernie got me my first job and, and, and taking care of me, man. Um, he got me out to Cyprus for my first gig and the rest is a wrap. So, yeah, I've known, known Bernie for over 10 years, 12 years, 13 years now. So it's been a wild ride. He's the man oh, who put you in, Lu- in Luxembourg, was it? Yeah. yeah <laughs> right, my team in uh, Cyprus was going bankrupt. And I, 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 was like, Bernie, what do I do? He's like, I'm getting you out of there. And like, literally two days later, <laughs> flight straight to Luxembourg. So, I bounced that. Those first two years were kind of turbulent, but uh, you know, ended up in in Sheffield, and it's been uh, you know a great experience for me here ever since. So,
1: yeah. yeah now it's interesting, Mike. Like now that you are essentially uh, has spent a large portion of your adult life, right? Like you know a little bit about like different countries and like the peculiarly. Of different places. So, Cyprus is like one of those places, right? Now, oh, like, it, like
2: to, for you no. placing me there my first year, like yeah. at the time, I was just like, what am I doing here? Like, this yeah. is crazy. Like, get me out of here. But then now, thinking back, it was, yeah. might've been my favorite year of playing pro basketball, but it was like, it was crazy. Like Cyprus is just a nuts place. Like
1: such a good pro league, like oddly enough,
2: you know what Yeah. I mean? like, it's, it's, it's a great standard. It's a great standard of yeah. basketball. You got yeah. like, yeah. you know, really good American imports. Then you yeah. got like, a lot of like the, the Eastern European, like Croatian and Serbians and, yes. and, and then, yeah. the, then the locals, the Cypriot, the Greek guys are, 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 are good too. So in yeah. terms of basketball, like, playing was like crazy because like every game was like wild the fans there are nuts yes ripping their shirts off they've got flares they're throwing stuff on the court they're flicking cigarettes on the court during the game like i was at it i went to watch a game they had a riot they were throwing chairs onto the court like (laughs) so that that was like you know so cool like coming to games here like british games are just tame compared to that you know like (laughs) perfect <laughs> um but it was it was a wild ride and I, I wouldn't have had it any other way like I would I loved going to Cyprus my first place and then and then yeah. Luxembourg and France after that so yeah it, it, I, I've got I've got, I've had a great taste of, of European basketball and and then you know spending two summers on the Canadian developmental team yeah we, we went to a couple of tournaments and stuff so um really blessed that I got the call from the Raptors. I got to meet Leo Routens and then Leo introduced me to Bernie. And like, like Bernie was saying earlier, like so much of, of, you know life and especially in the basketball community it's it's like kind of just stuff happens for a reason and, and stuff happens by chance and there's a lot of fate involved with stuff so yeah. you know i wouldn't be where i am now and doing what i am now and in the position i am now without without all those little small things happening along the way awesome
0: what, what's the craziest thing that's happened to one of your players in uh, in europe uh, then bernie have you, you never had to bail anyone out of jail or
1: anything i'm guessing Ahead in terms of like what i can say but no i'll give you one really good story so i uh i, I had uh patrick beverly uh left arkansas really late in the summer right so um he had to do something essentially like a gap year a basketball gap year so he had to go play in europe and then he's going to be draft eligible for the next year so i had an american coach that i sent to a team in ukraine Uh, that was a league that kind of splintered off from the super league that they had there. And they were just kind of like, it was martial law essentially. Right. So (laughs) this American coach goes there and I really trusted the coach. I knew he would do a great job with, with Patrick. So, um, I sent Patrick to that team as well, but Patrick was like, you know, 21 years old. I want to say like, just nobody really knew about him, but you knew he was going to be a pretty decent player. Right. So he goes and he plays for this team in Ukraine and like maybe about like a month or so into the team, um, into the season, you could tell, uh, I don't know if you've spent any time in Ukraine or anything like that, and I'm not making any blanket assumptions about uh, <laughs> the people that exist on this planet, uh, but from a business standpoint, uh, it's different. <laughs> I, I could tell that the uh, the person that owned this team was not financing the team uh, through hedge funds, if you can yeah, really... Yeah. So... Um, so in my head, I realized, I'm like, okay, I got to make this work for like six months because we got this guy, essentially, like if he develops in an appropriate way, I think he can make the NBA. So let's, what are we going to do to keep this together, right? So go through the whole year, Patrick is amazing, right? I, I knew he was going to be a pretty good player. You At that time, especially, and even now, you watch him play and you see that, that thing that he has about him that's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm really going to make this reality. So we get to the last month of the season and we've been able to manage like all the stuff I can tell, like, the owners of the team have created this. Uh, the owners of every team in the entire league have created the entire league just so they can bet on it with each other, right? Like, there were yeah. so many like, weird happenings <laughs> after- and things like that, right? So, the last month of the season, I, I want to say it was maybe you know six to eight thousand dollars a month or something like that. They were really late on this one payment and it was not, you know, an astronomical amount of money, but it was an amount of money that matters. You know, if you have a contract, the expectation is, and how we operate in North America and in the UK, like you have a contract, you abide by the contract, right? So they hit the point in the contract where it was about, I want to say it was like a trigger date of like 45 days late, then I can do what I'm supposed to do. So I remember I had to call the owner and say, okay, look, I'm looking at the contract. You guys are now 46 days late. This is what I'm thinking I'm gonna do. I'm gonna serve you with this legal letter. Pat's not gonna be able to participate anymore and do anything like that. And I remember the owner on the phone said to me, okay, okay. He says, you have lawyer, yeah? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, this is what we're gonna do. He was like, I'm gonna uh, fly your lawyer. He's in the US. I'm gonna fly your lawyer from the US here to Ukraine. When he lands in the Ukraine, I'm going to pick him up at the airport. And when I pick him up at the airport, I'm going to put him in the trunk of my car. And, he- <laughs> <laughs> and I was on the phone and I was kind of like waiting for like the next, you know what I mean? Like, where does it go from here? Yeah. And then I realized what he had actually said. And I was just like, all right, man, I'll, I'll, uh, I guess I'll talk to you later. And I was <laughs> like, you know what? I don't know that the legal route's going to be where we go from this. And if you want, let's get you home in the next like, 10 hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we kind of at that point, like I really knew who I was dealing with. And yeah, like yeah. I hadn't seen the movie Eastern Promises at that point, but like I knew <laughs> like I didn't want to do parts of it. You know what I mean? So that that would probably be the thing that stuck out in my head, especially now because like, you know, Pat at this point is is a eight to nine year NBA like vet, and sometimes I see him, I don't work with him anymore. Uh, And I realized like that was the starting point of his like career and you know what I mean? How long ago that was and it's just, it's amazing. But that's some of the reality of, of European basketball sometimes definitely with Americans.
0: the contrast, you know, dealing with people, and then obviously dealing with a superstar like Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, hanging out with Mark Wahlberg and stuff? It's is it a different kind of approach uh, when you're dealing with someone whose level of fame is just beyond, like, you know, your average basketball player?
1: The thing that I've learned, and I wouldn't have known this before I went through the experience myself, right? But the reality is, like, humans are humans are humans. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like at some point. You get to a spot where you realize um, you can either live within your reality that you create for yourself, or everybody else's reality that's been created for you. And if you're going to do the second one, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be chasing your tail a little bit. In his instance, like, you know, for the most part, it, it's just it's the the guy that I've always known. He's always been everybody around him's always known. There's been obviously some slight changes in terms of lifestyle and things like that, but that's a progression of just going through your twenties you know, for the most part, it's just, it's been pretty interesting, pretty manageable. And it, it's been, um, it, it's been awesome from the standpoint of, and this is the aspect that I love about my job, whether it's a reference to him or anybody, like, I like seeing these people that start out at a point where they have a goal, uh, or they have something that they want to work towards and everything, obviously, to scale. And then you go along that path where you start executing the this thing that you actually wanted, you know, and sometimes you get exactly what you want, sometimes you don't, but the adaptability that you uh, are able to show through that. And that's, you know, how you learn and do all those things. In his case, it's just like, you know, like that plan that you had, had it really, really worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an enjoyable experience for sure. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's still, it's still a, a human being's experience, you know? Yeah,
0: I think there's probably a, a bit of a misconception uh, portrayed by the media about Jimmy based on kind of what happened in Minnesota. Um, You know, that he takes himself too seriously. But if you actually look at his background and, you know, how he grew up, and he's got quite a unique story, it's probably, you know, it's probably far from the truth, isn't it, about him as an individual, I'd imagine.
1: The thing that I've learned about him that that makes him kind of unique is like he's not really afraid of the truth. You know what I mean? He has an ability, like he's going to tell you exactly what he believes the truth to be. And more often than not, it's not really that far from uh, center point or reality. Um, and in the course of that, sometimes, you know, um, the way other people kind of receive that truth, it it can be where that kind of variance is, but you know, for the most part, um, it's, it does, it it doesn't come from a bad place. I've never seen anything, um, you know, any of the experiences that we've come from, never come from, you know, a a malicious place or anything like that. It's just a person like you can't, you can't be built up. Um, by aspects that make you great, and then also, um, you know, uh, not be thankful for those things. So the reality of him, of, of being able to, like, bend his reality to what he wants, got him to where he is. And he can't dumb down the aspects of then accepting all these other things. Maybe if they aren't exactly to the standards that he wants or how he wants, that's not how he got there. That, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you take the good with the good, so to
2: speak. Yeah. That's definitely one of the things I think I, I, I like about him. It's just He seems like he knows who he is, and, and he's got that chip on his shoulder and, and that kind of that dog inside him where he's, he's, he's going to go for it. I mean, the last few seasons for him – Maybe turbulence the wrong word, but, you know, like bouncing around Timberwolves, Sixers, and now finally Miami. Do you think um, he's in a, a really good place right now? You th- is, he, is he happy with Miami and the situation, and, and is this going to be like a long-term thing for him? Yeah, no, I, you
1: know, hopefully I'm not like, uh, like getting ahead of myself or jinxing myself or anything like that. But, you know, as an athlete, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Every player that plays basketball is only as good as the coach that they're playing for believes them to be you know and in Jimmy's case like he's a franchise guy so it's like what the entire organization believes you to be same thing with you you know in Sheffield yeah. like you bounce around to different places you find this one organization that sees the beauty in you uh it makes an investment builds around you and you know get to a point where like okay we're going to sink or swim right and you've had your high moments you've had your low moments but over the course of time you've always known you've had the support of the organization right and that helps you to buy into something as well and when everything's kind of all said and done um, the satisfaction that you're going to take away from it is knowing like, okay, we did everything we could do. You know what I mean? This was the journey, the experience for him. Same kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like in the NBA, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer. You don't need all 30 teams to love you. You need to find the team that does, you know, the find the team that matches you and everything. And there's so many different attributes and ways of the way Miami goes about the business uh, and the way that they on a day-to-day basis um, really kind of stay true to the things that are important to them. And ultimately, like, every team in the league will say something along the lines of, you know, winning and, and culture and championship. Yeah, 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 Not a lot of them live by that, no. you know what I mean? And, Miami, and, seem, Miami seems like a really good fit for him as well. Oh, yeah, 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 no. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting. I said to um, I said to him and, and Pat Riley uh, at the beginning of their meeting, and this was true of Tibbs as well, but definitely of Pat Riley. I was like, you know, this can be the perfect balance because um you know pat you know that jimmy's really really good and jimmy you're a little bit scared of pat riley because he's pat riley <laughs> you know so it's been really good and that's that's uh you know continued to be true
2: yeah, yeah man they they look scary with that just that young core and, and bio, none hero like just i'm I, i'm really excited to see what what's going to come from them in the near future
1: you know, I've learned over the course of time, the way that uh, NBA teams uh, really kind of uh, take off is where they identify, uh, you know, who, who are like our franchise guys, like who's the one, number one, number two on this organization that's really gonna make us go. And then everybody else assumes a role, but the number one role that they're assuming is how do we make these two guys be really, really good? And how do we get our stuff out of the way? And then we go along with them. And in Miami, it's like, from like the first preseason game I noticed right away like you don't have to fight for any of these things. It, the number one truest thing about professional sports across the board and it's the way it should be because you guys are all competitors like what's the one thing everybody wants? A little bit more right like that's kind of how you have to be wired. The thing that I've learned in Miami that a little bit more that they want it's all the collective tied it's it's not individual based and that's from like the people that work within the organization to play for it and it's like it's such an amazing thing to see that they've actually like pulled it off because it's really really hard you know it's it's really hard in every aspect of adult life oh,
2: yeah. I think they're I think they're about like ahead of schedule in terms of like I don't think anybody really expected them to be doing like winning the games that they're doing this year
1: the one thing I know about Jimmy and I, I've kind of picked up over the course of years like he's people across board know he's a pretty good player, right? Like he's a five to 10 guy, but like, I've always known, like on a day to day basis, he's the guy that can compete with anybody who's supposed to be, you know, one through three, one through four, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's going to do, he's going to give the majority of his teams chances. So yeah, like they, they have a really good kind of group that's built to play the way that you have to play to be successful in the NBA, but then also still do the stuff that traditional basketball kind of pushes you towards being good in terms of defending and rebounding um, to kind of, you know, really have them have a bunch of success across the board.
0: Yeah. Switching from uh, a well-run franchise to um, a poorly run franchise. Uh, you've had a, quite a few guys who played for Tibbs over the years uh, mm-hmm. in Chicago. Um, what, what do you make of uh, him on the Knicks? Um, how can you see that playing out? Do you think the ship sail there or how will he deal with sort of bringing on a young team and stuff. Do you think that's going to end badly or? He's the best.
1: Like mm-hmm. I, as much as, yeah, as much as, you know, obviously like we had our incidents in, in Minnesota that went the way that it went. It was more, you know, tied to that situation in terms of what was right. But in terms of like NBA coaches and things that I've seen and the way that they build things, like he's awesome. And now the thing that you think about in New York, it's like their success is to scale. Like them, them winning, you know, in the East, typically, you're going to have to win between 45 and 48, 49 games uh, to make the playoffs. So that's like a 60% winning clip. He can do that. You know what I mean? Like he he could take any team in the league and, and do that. And if they do that, and they make the playoffs to them, that's going to feel like for the first, you know, couple of seasons, that's going to feel like a huge accomplishment, you know, and now, new york's patience in terms of a market's really really small so after two years it's going to be like ah you know like we want more than this now right and they're not going to remember the 10 years of uh pure and utter ineptitude and futility that they had uh but you know at the outset like he's he's gonna he's gonna drag it out of them by like carrot or by stick like it's it's gonna happen
2: (laughs) would you gauge that probably as the the hardest market to play in
1: uh, You know, I, I think every market is is difficult on its own merits, and but it definitely is a market that's gonna like, it's going to keep you accountable. Like you're gonna have to deal with a lot of media on a day to day basis, right? And the yeah. fans are like, they're fans very new. Fans. You. <laughs> like I, I've seen the collective uh, group, like a, a fans will like groan on like a blown defensive rotation. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of markets in the NBA that understand, like, oh, you're going to get a three-second-in-the-key call, you know? like, But New York is is like that, you know? And it'll be like a grandmother that's screaming it, you know? Like, so (laughs) it's – yeah, no, it's – but, again, like, I would say, like, all the athletes I've worked with, and and you tell me if I'm wrong, like, you want that accountability. You want to feel like what you're doing, like, matters, and someone's noticing and someone's paying attention to it and understanding, like, um you know the the amount of time and thought that kind of goes into this, right, and if you're not then like you don't get to the level that you guys get to like you stop playing in high school and college like me, you know what I mean like so no it's it's uh it it's got it, it's
2: pros and cons for sure, yeah i one hundred percent agree I think it's when, when a coach stops yelling at you and he stops paying attention to you, then, then, uh, you know, he doesn't care about you anymore. But when he's still yelling at you, he knows you can do better. So it's always, you always have to take that on board as a positive.
1: Yeah, no, without question. What, what do you make
0: of how the Adam Silver and the NBA have kind of handled this, um, the bubble, the Orlando, the sort of restart and stuff. And you've kind of, you got to take your hat off to them really, um, that they've actually managed to get this thing working. And, it actually looks decent and the games are enjoyable to watch aren't they um which I kind of had my doubts about at the time how how, how do you think it's come across as a a sort of you know visual packages stuff
1: it's amazing you know like we're so lucky in the NBA like we have the best commissioner in professional sports you know Mm. and like I deal on a human level of like what kind of pulls us together and I'm doing it on a on a micro level you know and he's doing it through uh you know 450 players 30 owners like it's, it's amazing, you know, and if anything, like, I think he's showing us in North America, not so much Canada, but more in the US, like we're struggling, uh, because everybody wants to be the leader, right? And I don't know that the infrastructure really wants to be put in place to have the things that we want to have happen without doing the grunt work here, you know, setting that process to be able to do what you want to do kind of safely. But Adam's like, shown it and the NBA, shown like, okay, do this, this and this, this is how this works, right? And this is what sacrifice looks like. So like, uh, you know, one of the things that, and it's been something that i pushed back against uh, a lot is, you know, there's been the criticism of, um, you know, private business uh, being able to have access to the amount of testing that they have and everything like that. And I've totally said like, we're looking at this in the wrong way. It's not that, how did the NBA get this? It's how does the entire country not have access yeah. to this? Yeah, like, the, the U.S. government has more money than a private business, any private private business, right? It's what is a priority for you. And the NBA shown, look, if you want to operate normal life, these are the things you're going to have to do. You're going yeah. to have to test and trace. You're going to have to wear masks. You're going to have to sacrifice.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, if you don't want to do these things, we're going to continue to kind of chase our tail. So they've been a really good example that I think we've needed, uh, you know, on this continent. And hopefully it's something that can be followed. Yeah, you can't criticise people for having
0: their shit together because you're completely incompetent, do you know what I mean? It's uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, without question.
0: That's the without wrong question. approach, totally. We should probably let you go because we've took up far too much of your time. But um, what's the most common misconception you think people have about NBA agents or agents in general? You know, it's obviously not all private jets and limousines and whatnot um it's obviously a lot of hard work uh, as i'm sure you could attest to um it's tough work flying in first
2: class <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: i mean i would say i didn't always do this but now that i am doing it, i hope i never go back kind of thing uh no i would i would just say like for me like the basis of everything that that i i've done and do uh comes from a standpoint of like I just love the people's stories, right? And everybody's yeah. story is different, and everybody's level of success is, is to scale. But there's something, there's growth, there's incremental um, uh, something with with anything. You know, sometimes it goes really, really well. Sometimes it doesn't. But the story is the story, right? Uh, and for me, like that that motivation uh, has just been like, you know, a hundred different examples of Mike, of Jimmy, of like all the people I've worked with that I can think about over the course of, of time that, that I've done this, been really, really lucky to like kinda be sitting like passenger seat is like you have these people that you meet with somebody like Mike was telling you the story. I think I talked to him he was four days after that workout and his head's still spinning. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. hey, like they told me to come to this workout and I made a bunch of shots and then they let me go to <laughs> and Now Leo Revens that I've been watching on TV since I was 13 calls me every day and asks me how he's with my life. Like, how does this happen? And here we are 12 years <laughs> later he's yeah. sitting in his flat in Sheffield and he's built a life there. And like yeah. he's, you know, had this great experience when we started working together. Only I had great hair and now we both have great hair. Like oh, baby. <laughs>
2: right, I'm right there. I think I've overtaken you,
1: you know, <laughs> at least we still have the hair, right? Uh, that's no it. Offense, right. But, <laughs> any color
2: I want it to be baby. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but that's like, that's the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's like the beauty of it. You know, like I, I think, everybody's battle in life. Like when you start coming out of college and you think to yourself, your adult life, uh, what do I want my life to look like? Everybody wants to do something that they're passionate about, but Both. everybody yeah. has and wants to achieve things and everything like that. Anybody that's working like in sports or anything, you know, essentially working in an intellectual property and taking this thing. That's been a passion of your life and you're essentially making it your, your, your life. You know what I mean? And so we're really, really lucky. I, I love every aspect of everything that I do. Yeah, it's about the human beings and the
0: stories, essentially, which is, uh, yeah, yeah, a beautiful thing. Yeah, 100%. Bernie, you're a legend for popping on with us, and um, hopefully we'll catch up again sometime in the near future.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for
0: taking the time, buddy, and uh, hopefully awesome. things will be back to normal for you uh, pretty soon. And uh, enjoy the playoffs and enjoy the rest of the uh, the season, if you can.
1: Thanks so much. If you guys can ever make it over, you'd be my guest anywhere you uh, want to come, and whenever I, I come back that way. Uh, and I uh, piggyback off Jimmy's coattails to go to a, a game somewhere. I'll make sure you guys come with me. Okay?
0: You're a gentleman. We'll, we'll take you up on that for sure.
1: Talk to you soon, guys. Thank you. Awesome.
0: Thank you. Cool. Cheers, buddy. Take
1: started. care.